Amen. Amen. Man, I believe we just had us some worship in this place. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I want to share a crazy spiritual truth uh, with you right, right now. Uh, a little while ago, I was trying to get me a drink out of this here thing, and I'm sucking like crazy. Like, there's a problem, right? And so I said, let me open this lid up. And it's like, ah, ah. And God goes, you know, preachers can make analogies out of anything. You know, uh, it's like you got this drink available. You got me wanting it, but there's a connection missing, right? We just put a straw, right, in that connection. And see, we need to connect to God, right? We can't get it, right? We can suck all day we want. Nothing's coming unless we connect with God. And a great way to do that is worship. A great way to do that is with the Word. And I really wish I had put that in there this morning when I grabbed that thing. That would have been much better. But hey, we're glad you're here today. Um, and actually, it's name tag a month. Um, each week, we'll write our name and then something you get to put on it. And, you know, this week it's your, it's your favorite sport. Next week it may be, you know, a, um, your favorite Steve maybe or something. Yeah, but, but anyhow, you know, you, you, you'll put that on there. And it's a way to help us get to know each other, right? If you're sending someone's name tag, it's like, oh, I, it's like, oh, you like soccer, but you're really looking at their name. But they, they think you're, oh, that's your favorite sport. And because we're more apt to walk up and talk to people um, if we know their names, right? And, uh, and so um, uh, two quick commercials. One, just a reminder, starting point. Hey, this is a free lunch, pizza, salad, cookies. You, you'll be out within the hour. There's no, there's no teaching going on. We're going to sit at tables briefly introduce ourselves and just welcome you to our church. And, and so we got tons of pizza, encourage you. Even if you weren't planning on it, I definitely think you're planning on eating. We will have you in and out an hour because we know what happens around one o'clock today, right? You know, um, uh, football kicks off. Okay, uh, very important. No. And, and, uh, uh, but the other commercial is a friend of mine, um, Henry Garrison, uh, is going to come up here and share a little bit about life groups all this month. I'm going to have people come up here and talk about life groups that are in them, because I think you guys turn me, tune me out when I talk about it, because I'm supposed to say this, but, but um, Henry happens to be in my life group, and I've got to know him a lot because of being in that group. He's going to share a few things. Um, so good morning, Maple Grove. I'm Henry Garrison. My wife, Kim, and I are in a life group. We'd like to tell you about our life group and what we get out of being in the group and why we feel it's an important part of our journey with God. First of all, we meet Thursday evenings. We start with dessert, which is really good, and fellowship. Um, then move into how our week's been. Uh, we then talk about prior sermon and how this works in our life or just what stood out to us. Um, text, I need my glasses for this. So. I made it really big so I could see it. In the uh, um, texts are sent throughout the week with scripture to keep us on track. We find that the people in the group grow really close while sharing their problems, praises, and concerns. We can share anything in the group, and whatever the problem is, you can trust it stays between the group and God, which is comforting. Having fellow loving Christians praying for you, for your family or friends, is powerful. Sometimes we pray for others we don't even know, and we pray for each other as one. Um, bottom line is that when you're in a life group, you tighten your, the bond between your group and the church. You can better understand what the church and you can do through the strength in God. Learning and understanding Bible stories and verses, hearing God's word in life group will open your heart and increase your will to love deeper for others and know that he is at your side at all times. 
Trust me, it's true because I feel and see his love more every day. So with that being said, I have to steal a few words from Steve Malone himself. So I'd like for you to turn to the person to the left and right of you and tell them if they're not already in a life group, they need to get in a life group. And you can sign up on your connection cards and uh, Steve Bailey will be over uh, by that kiosk screen over there after service to talk to you about it. And uh, hey, 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 I, I want to read some words um, that God breathed 2,000 years ago through the pen of Matthew and Paul that kind of lay a foundation as we launch out on this journey together about the church. And the first is in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And in other words, it's basically Jesus is saying, guys, it's time for uh, us to talk about my identity, about who I am. <clears throat> well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, uh, the Son of the living God, Jesus replied. You are blessed, Simon, son of John. <clears throat> I sang so hard, I shouldn't have. Um, because my Father in heaven, maybe I should have. Okay, I'm going to start over uh, at this one part. Welcome to Maple Grove. This is how we do, okay? Uh, how I do. Uh, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being because we could never figure it out. Now I say to you that you are Peter. It's a Greek word there that means little rock. And upon this rock, this big rock, which is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Hey, guys, I, I need you to keep my identity on the down low until it's time. I, I'll let you know when. And then Jesus said, get it. They said, got it. Jesus said, good. And guys, <laughs> that's where I got it from, the Bible. And, and guys, now that you know who I am, I, let me tell you why I'm here. And, and you better brace yourself because it might not be what you were expecting. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, when the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside, began to reprimand him, saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. By the way, that is a dangerous trap, isn't it? When we see things from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and now that I told you about who I am, let me tell you about who you are as my follower. If any of you wants to be my follower, which is probably you in this room, right, because that's why you're here, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Those who want to save their lives will give up true life. And those who give up their lives for me will have true life. And now check out these words from Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 about the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
And listen, gentlemen, guys, husbands, giving yourself up for your bride is not a burden, it's a blessing, and it's being like Jesus. Amen? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. And one more passage about the church from the pen of Matthew and the mouth of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the king of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had. Uh, would you guys mind standing as we, we pray? And sometimes we like to pray palms open, just kind of symbolic that we're ready to receive from God. Uh, God, we love you. We believe in you. God, it was so awesome to, just to worship you and to sing and shout praises to your name. And God, I, I pray that you will move in a powerful way, that you'll open up our hearts and minds to your word. God, we recognize that you're God and we're not, that you're big and we're small, that, that you're infinite and we're finite, that you know everything and we don't know very much at all. And God, that you are the giver and sustainer of life. And God, we thank you for your church, which is your bride. We thank you for this body here, uh, Maple Grove. And God, I, I pray that as we launch out together uh, on this new series, Church, um, that we will see this church the way you do, through your eyes. Uh, Father, enable me to speak well for you, um, you know, so people leave the day excited about church. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we're kicking off our, our, our brand new series called Church. And I understand countless ideas, images, thoughts, perceptions, beliefs, and emotions come into people's minds whenever they hear the word church. Uh, question, what comes into your mind when you hear the word church? And, and how does what just come, came into your mind make you feel? Now listen, some of these ideas, images, thoughts, perceptions, beliefs, and emotions are good, true, hopeful, and helpful, but others are bad, wrong, false, and destructive. Brothers and sisters, what is the church? Why is it here? Why does it matter? Is it really all that important? I mean, should we even care about it? What should it look like? And what is your role and your responsibility in it? And the most important question of all is where do we go to find the answer to those questions and any question we have about the church? I mean, do we go to our culture? Do we go to a pastor? Do we, go to the, do we look for it in the latest book or at the newest Bible conference? Understand, there is only one place that we can and must go in order to discover the power, beauty, meaning, and purpose of the church. It is through the living and active, enduring forever, inerrant word of God. Amen? Amen. Check out what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, uh, about the church and what it is to be built upon. And, and he's been talking so far in this letter about, hey, being in Christ is like a really awesome place to be. And it makes some incredible changes in us, dramatic changes. He writes, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets. That would be right here. With Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone. Now, what is the church to be built upon? What's its foundation? Is it buildings and programs and opinions and, and agendas and budgets? No. It's to be built on the apostles and the prophets. Good question, what do you call building without a foundation? I call it a soon-coming pile of rubble, right? Now, now I mentioned last week that I have, I have some goals in, in this series and that I think God would approve of. Number one, the first goal was to help each of us understand just how beautiful, awesome, amazing, precious, powerful, incredible, indescribable, uncontainable, unstoppable, and essential the church is, right? I go like, wow. Uh, number two is to move us to take the church more excitedly. And that means to be in a state of excitement, emotionally aroused, stirred. I want to stir you up about the church. Number two, to, to move us to take the church much more seriously. Now, I, I, I've been doing a lot of studying for this series. My head hurts, and i got a lot more studying to do. And, and one of my key resources for study has, has been to listen to some teaching from Dr. Roger Chambers. He's one of my professors. If you've read the book, um, Eats with Sinners, uh, he was Aaron Chambers' dad. Um, I had him for one class, one semester in 1988, and then and the Lord took him home at an early age. And, and, uh, but yet, we had a bunch of cassette tapes in the library, these little weird little things that you could spin. What? Anyhow, uh, you can go Google that, right, you know, on your iPhone, right? Uh, but, uh, and he became my mentor. You know, he has taught me so much, and, and, and I put a website up there, you know, faithfulpreaching.com, all his classes and his teachings, he, he's the smartest guy I ever encountered. And, and at one of his lectures he gave at the North American Christian Convention, he made the, this statement, one of the major issues or problems that the church faces today is that it does not take itself seriously enough. What, what do you think about that statement? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I can tell you, I absolutely agree. I mean, how else do we explain how so many people think that it's okay to quit, divide, ignore, neglect, give lukewarm, half-hearted commitment to, gossip, speak negatively about the church, or allow other people to do so? After all, the scriptures I just read proclaim that the church that many feel it's okay to, to quit, to divide, to, to ignore and neglect is it belongs to Jesus. I'll build my church. It's, it, Jesus died in order to have the church. It's his bride, and it's a priceless treasure. Bottom line, we all, and that we all would be you and me and the person right and left, we need to take the church much more seriously. You know, I, I think it might be a good idea for us to learn the lesson that, that Paul learned as he was continuing his journey on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. What Paul found out was that whatever someone does to the church, Jesus takes personally. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Wait a second. Jesus is in the throne room. How's he doing? I'm not pursuing you, Jesus. I'm just dinging on your church. He goes, you ding on your church. You're dinging on me. Again, again, my goals for this series, fourfold. Help us understand how awesome the church is. To move us to, move us to take the church more excitedly. To stir us up with a great, are you kidding me, joy? I get to be a part of this? 
They move us to take the church more seriously so that we treat her like the bride belonging to Christ and priceless treasure that she is. And fourth, to move us to do an honest, deep, heartfelt gut check, and one that moves us to commit or recommit to Christ and his church. Get it? Good. Man, I know Jesus sure hopes that we do. Get it, that is. Now here's where I think we'll be going in the next several weeks, all right? The, the first two weeks, we're going to talk about we are the church. Look at what the scripture says about the church. And uh, 925, we're going to do a study, we are rescuers, and that's Freedom Sunday. We're going to join thousands of churches across the, the, the world who are acknowledging the fact that there's more people in number, 40 million people who are in slavery today, right? And, and we're going to talk about, and you know what, the church did something about it 2,000 years ago, and the church needs to do something about it today. Amen? And then we're going to talk about how we are, how we are followers and how we are devoted, how we are servants, how we are one, talking about unity, how we are pursuing, and then finally how you know, we are in, right? And, and that's where each of us will make, make a decision to commit or recommit to this church, which is his church. All right, let's do this. Conversation number one, we are the church. But before we go there, i got to say one more preliminary thing. Now, on Monday, and our faith comes from hearing, reading, we do this chapter a day thing, and, and, and uh, we'll be reading Acts starting this week. Encourage you to jump in and do that. We see the church being born and exploding in, in, across the world. But on, on Monday, we read Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. You probably heard that before. You know, I, I Googled and found a picture of the actual sower right there. No, not really. You can find all kinds of pictures on the internet, okay? Not, some not good, but anyhow. Um, and so you have this farmer out there. He's just slinging seed, right? And, and, and some seed falls on, on, on the path, and, and it's just kind of laying there. Birds come by and pick it up. And, and then Jesus says some, some falls on rocky places, and it grows up quickly, but it has no root. So this, when the sun comes up, it withers. Uh, some seed is thrown among the thorns, and there's so much other junk around it, it ch- chokes out the plants. And then finally, some falls on the good soil, and, and it produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. Well, later that night, Jesus' disciples came to him, and they're like, okay, Jesus, you know, like, like what were you really trying to say earlier today? And Jesus is like, I'm so glad you asked, because that shows me that you want to know. That shows me that you want to see, you want to hear, you want to understand. And then he says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart, this is a seed sown along the path. Hard. And, and you know, uh, and this faith comes from hearing, like the day Sunday is our catch-up day, and usually I have to use it because I missed something. This week I actually caught up, and I go, what I read? Oh, well, I was supposed to read and reflect. And, you know, I went back to this parable, and, and I got thinking about hard, right? Because I don't know about you, when I hear hard, I, like something's hard, and God, I'm, and is, that, is that the image you get? Nothing's going to pet, and you're just hard, nasty, right? You know, well, hard is not just nasty, right? Cold, it, it can be like we're hard, and, and God's truth, right? Anytime God's truth is not able to penetrate into our lives, we miss out. Because what Jesus says is that, you know, when his truth penetrates, that's when 
we turn to him and we find healing, right? And so it's not, you don't have to be mean and nasty to have a hard heart. It's just like you're just not letting God's word penetrate. Seed falling rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and wants to receive it with joy. Amen. Sign me up. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play center field, right? Uh, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, it gets a little tough, they take a few hits. Because of the word, they fall away quickly. Seed fall among the thorns for someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, all the junk of this world, in other words, so much stuff growing around it that it just chokes it and makes it unfruitful. But the seed falling in good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Okay, so here's the deal. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to be slinging some serious scriptural seed, right? Okay? I I want you to try to say that four times as fast as you can. Go ahead. We're speaking in tongues in Maple Grove, right? <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, you did well. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be slinging some seed. And, 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 and that seed that I'm slinging is going to wind up on four types of soil. And you get to choose. And so what I'm, your choice is between now and November 6th, what kind of soil you're going to be. Yeah? Write it on your paper or right in your head. You can say, you know, I, I know what, I'm, I'm going to be hard. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let it penetrate. I'm not going to dig down deep. I'm not going to dig down any deeper in the next several weeks. You know what? I, I know there's junk in my life that could choke it out. I don't care. I'm not doing any weeding. I don't like gardening, right? You know, but, but you choose. You tell God right now what kind of soil you're going to be. Fill in that blank. So let the slinging begin. Okay, the first point in your notes is Maple Grove is the church. Now, I know that might seem like an odd and unnecessary statement to make. Maple Grove is a church. But, guys, please stick with me as I try to explain what I mean by this and why it's so important that we both know and believe that Maple Grove is the church. You see, there's this concept out there, this idea, and it's been around for a long time since the early 5th century. It was first taught by a guy named St. Augustine who was the Bishop of Hippo. And no, he was not the bishop of hippopotamuses, right? Okay, that, that wasn't his job, right? And by the way, those are very dangerous creatures. 3,000 pounds, right? They can run up to 19 miles per hour, and a human can run about 12 miles an hour on average. Do the math. That's why they kill 3,000 people every year, like this guy right here. That's like, that is one, I don't know if he's got a foe, beat me up, Scotty, right? Okay. Anyhow, I digress. Um, Actually, Hippo was a place. It was a region in northern Africa uh, along the Mediterranean Sea on the coast of eastern Algeria. And listen, this concept, this idea developed by Augustine was embraced a thousand years later by leaders of the Protestant Reformation movement, men like Martin Luther and John Calvin. And basically it was the idea, and and, and I I drew like just really awesome pictures in your notes so you can go home and frame it. Um, there's this idea that there are actually two churches. The local church of it, that you can see, touch, and attend, and the real, universal, spiritual, and invisible church that you cannot see. And now this idea of an invisible church, like most things and ideas in history, 
it was not born in a vacuum, right? There's things that precipitated it. And uh, there's two primary reasons this concept, this idea was developed. Number one, because the church in Augustine's time, which was the imperial church, was a mess. It was sinful. It was corrupt. I mean, back in the day, in that day in the church, if you didn't like what someone was saying or doing, I mean, you didn't hold a meeting. You didn't defriend them on Facebook. You didn't send out a nasty tweet about them, right? You know what you would do? You'd kill them. You'd kill them. And seriously, that happened by the thousands. And so Augustine was like, okay, on the one hand, I look in Scripture and I see this beautiful thing called the church. It's awesome. Uh, but yet, on the other hand, I, I, here's what I really got. Are, are you tracking with me? You see, a major catalyst to this concept of there being a real universal invisible church was this, this dichotomy, this major disconnect between the ideal of the church we see in Scripture and the realities of what he experienced in the church in his time. And there was a second catalyst for developing this idea of an invisible church is that Augustine, right, uh, um, prior to converting to Christianity at the age of 32, had been a Neoplatonist, Plato, and, and, and not the stuff you use to make things with, right? And, and, and uh, no, I think he could invent it that, I'm not sure. Okay, but, but anyhow, it basically believed in Greek dualism. Yeah, which basically means anything you can touch, the physical world, including us, that's all evil. And the unseen world is good and pure. You still tracking with me? So Augustine is like, no, I, I agree that the church I see does not come anywhere close to matching what I see in Scripture, and it probably never will, but that's okay because the church I can see is only a reflection of the invisible, universal, spiritual, not physical, real church that I cannot see. Bottom line, this idea of the visible church was a very convenient way to get the local church and her leaders off the hook. I mean, since the local church is not the real church, then there's no reason to get all worked up about trying to conform it to what we see in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament. Sure, the local church is not perfect, but it never will be. But hey, those imperfections don't really matter because it's not the real church church. It's just a local church. You, you see, and stay with me, if the local church is not the real church, then the authority to live under the New Testament is eased. In fact, it's actually lifted. Sure, Jesus said that I'm forgive those who hurt me up to 70 times 7. Sure, sure, Jesus said to, to love my enemy. Sure, Jesus said that I'm to use my tongue to only build others up and not tear them down. Sure, Jesus said that true religion is to look after the orphans and the widows. Sure, Jesus said that I'm always to put the interests of others over my own interests and I'm to turn the, the other cheek. But that's, that's so unrealistic. I mean, even Jesus knows we could, could never do that for, for real. And, and so you have these three extremely influential leaders, Augustine, Luther, and Calvin, Embracing this concept of there being two churches, the local church, messy and not too pretty to look at at times, and the real, invisible, perfect church. But listen, just because people embrace something and teach something does not make it true. Understand the Bible only knows of one church, and it's the local church. You know, the church is people. Now, if you've noticed, people tend to be local, right? I mean, we kind of like tend to be where we are, right? We're local. 
And yes, we like they, when we look at the church, we see imperfections. But maybe we'll go, just because we're not yet what we should be does not mean we're not the church. I mean, if the church in Corinth was the church, you know, that was some serious stuff going on. Check it out. Bottom line, what I'm trying to say, and I, I don't know if I'm saying it well enough, what I'm trying to say is that when what we read in the New Testament and what we see in the church does not match, that does not mean we just throw in the town, give up on the ideal. Instead, it means that, that, that we must continue to chase after and never give up on what the church can and should be. And then as we wrap up this, this point, I want to do it by mentioning two extremes that we must avoid. Again, we look at the church that we are and the church that we should be. Here, 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 here's the first extreme. Well, we must avoid the extreme of becoming so enamored with the ideal, oh, they're so, it's so wonderful, that it causes the hate on the church and it's perfect people, right? Yeah. And we're so enamored with the ideal that you can't put up with people like me, right? <laughs> right? Oh, I can't be around you. You're just... Number two, we must avoid the extreme of letting the ideal so discourage us. Man, that so ain't us that we give up on the church and on the dream of who we can and who we must be. Brothers and sisters, Maple Grove is the church. Maple Grove is the church. You probably know what's coming, right? Your line is the church, right? I say Maple Grove. We do it three times well, we get to move on, right? Maple Grove. I don't count that one. Maple Grove. Maple Grove. Maple Grove. Amen. I know I spent a lot of time on that, and I know that this was not the funnest teaching right, that I've ever given. By the way, that's a word. It's a new word by me. Uh, fun, funnest, it's an adverb, an activity that brings great enjoyment. Uh, two, causing people to nod their heads, clap their hands, say amen, and shout, hallelujah. What a great time we're having, right? Okay, I, I know it, it's not the funnest. Nevertheless, it's vital. Because I, I want you to know that everything I'll be sharing in the coming weeks about what the church is, Maple Grove is. Because Maple Grove is a church. Now let's talk about what the New Testament says about the church, about Maple Grove. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to make some of the church is statements. And some of these statements will come quick, right? I can unpack them quickly. Others, like what I'm doing next week, I was going to do this week. It's like, no way, dude, you can't do it. Uh, is we're going to unpack the truth that the church is the promised messianic kingdom, right? I need a little more time to unpack that. Some will come a little bit quicker, all right? Okay, let's do this. Uh, the church is Christ. It belongs to Jesus. I, I understand, Maple Grove is not my church. It's not the elders' church. And it's not your church. On this rock, Jesus said, I will build what? My church. Turn to the person to your right and left and say, Maple Grove is not your church. So get on out. What are you doing here? No, I didn't mean it. Not that way. Hey, did you notice that when Jesus started talking about his identity, Matthew 16, what does he start talking about, the church? You see, Jesus and who he is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, this rock, he's going to build his church. So Jesus and the church are so intertwined. You can't separate them. 
You can't separate Jesus from the church because they're like gorilla glued together. Now, a few weeks back in our Faith Comes From Hearing, yeah, we read some chapter out of the book of Revelation. It opens up, John has his, he's on the exile on the island of Patmos. It, it was the Roman version of Alcatraz. And, and he's having this incredible vision of seeing Jesus in all his glory, right? The, it, it, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means an unveiling, right? The curtain is pulled back. And whoa, Jesus is pretty flipping amazing. And, and, and he's talking to Jesus. And John writes, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He, he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hands, and a sharp, double-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. No kidding. But he laid his right hand on me and said, and maybe he wants to do that to you this morning, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. A little later on, Jesus, Revelation, awesome book, right? And people can get all wigged out over it, right, trying to figure everything out. You know, it's cool when Jesus actually tells us what things are. <laughs> and he tells us, like, hey, you know these lampstands? Like, let me tell you what they are. Verse 20, this is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word angels is the word, it can be either translated angels, like, you know, or can, like <laughs> angels as messengers, same word. You know, um, I, I tend to believe, and some of my professors said that in, the, he holds, you know, the messengers, the, the pastors of churches in his right hand. And the seven lampstands are what? The seven churches. See, the church belongs to Jesus, and he's standing right in the middle of it. Maple Grove is a lampstand, and Jesus is standing right in the middle of it. It belongs to him. And, and one thing that struck me as we read about all these things that Jesus wrote to the church in, in, the churches in Revelation, had John write to them, is, is two words. He, he would say, I know. I know. Like, hey, I know what's happening. Why? Because, like, I'm there. You belong to me, and I'm right there in the middle. He said to the church in Ephesus, I, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. He said to the church in Smyrna, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. He, he said to the church in Pergamum, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. He said to the church of Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service, and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He said to the church at Sardis, kind of rough, I know your deeds, you have a reputation to be alive, but you are dead. He said to the church of Philadelphia, I know that you have little strength, tired, wore out, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He said to the church in Laodicea, I know, because I'm there, I'm, I'm walking among the lampstands, I know your deeds. That you're neither hot or cold. I wish you're either one or the other. See, Jesus knows. He knows the church belongs to him. Next, the church is not a building, it's us. How many of you ever did this when you were a kid, right? 
here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, and there are all the people, right? Terrible theology, right? Okay, right? Terrible theology, right? You know, the building is not the church, right? The church is not brick and mortar and drywall and paint and carpet. The church is me and the church is you. The church is people, right? That's like when you, you drive by, people drive by and see a, a, a church empty in the middle of the week. Go, wow, that's a beautiful church. It's just a building. Understand, this building is not going to leave this campus and go out into our community and share Christ, right? It's, not gonna, it's, it's kind of just going to stay right here. Right? It's not going to leave this campus and go look after a widow and orphan. It's not going to leave this place and go feed the hungry. It's just going to be here. Right? And then one day it's not going to be here, but it doesn't matter because the church is not a building. It's us. The church is next. I said something be quick. The bride of Christ. I love this picture. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. I personally love that challenge. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Raise your hand if you've ever been to a wedding, right? Okay. Um, you know, what is the plan, most dramatic moment? Plan. Because I've had some crazy moments in weddings that are hilarious that weren't planned that were rather dramatic, but the, the planned dramatic moment is when those rear doors bust open, boom, right? Where's she? No, no, the planned moment would be she's actually there, right? And she's, she's I, 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 here's the picture, right? I have no idea, ovation images, photography, I don't know who they are, uh, give them props, thanks for letting me use that, all right? You put it on Google, right? And, and that's awesome, right? And, and, and no disrespect to bride, I mean, everybody stands, right? And you look at the bride, everybody's clapping, you know, she looks beautiful, but I got to be honest, I, I, I don't really look at the bride all that much. You know what I look at? I look at the groom. I look, at, I look over at the groom. I love this groom. I love him, man. Oh, my gosh, I love him. That's how Jesus looks at the church. That, that, that. That's how Jesus looks at Maple Grove. That, that's, how, that's how Jesus looks at you. Isaiah 62.5 says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so the Lord rejoices over you. And I'm here to tell you that, that, if, that if you don't, you know, oh my gosh, I love that guy. i got to find him. <laughs> if you don't look at the church the way that Jesus looks at the church, you're not seeing the church for who she is. If you don't look at Maple Grove that way, you're not seeing Maple Grove for who she really is. Because Maple Grove is a church. Oh, that you and I would see this church the way that Jesus does. There's a bonus point. How about that? Um, it's on the screen, but not in your nose. Uh, the church is the most valuable thing on the face of the planet. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven, and, and you'll find out next week that we could substitute church there. 
the king of heaven, the church, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Oh, that we would see the church. Oh, that we would see this church, Maple Grove, as the most valuable thing not some invisible thing we can't touch, but this church we're in right now, this body of people that surround us, oh, that we would see the church, Maple Grove, as the most valuable thing on the face of this planet. Thank you. And if we do not see Maple Grove, not some mythical church you'll never attend, If you do not see, if I do not see Maple Grove that way, we are not seeing it the way that Jesus wants us to see it. Final point, and this is where I work my football into it. Church is much more than a Sunday morning huddle. My favorite sport, NFL. I love it. I love football. I I love it. it. And today... Every team's got the same dream, right? 32 teams had a game on Thursday. Broncos win. Eh, okay. But uh, um, they all want to go all the way, right, and win the Lombardi, right? 17,000, 1,700 players, 32 teams, same goal. I'm going to watch some games today. I'm going to watch a game tonight. It's going to be hard probably. Um, but uh, imagine, you know, even if you don't like football, right, I mean, I'm not a farmer, and I can imagine slinging seed, right? So, so imagine as you're watching football later today and your favorite team, and all they do for the entire game is huddle. I mean, like, would you, like, think, like, something's kind of wrong? I mean, like, every time they get the ball, all they do is stand in this circle, fire each other up, Talk about plays that they could and should run, but they never break the huddle and actually run the plays, right? I mean, would you watch? I mean, do you think they win the game? If you're like me and play fantasy football, man, why did I put those guys in my team this weekend? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. The world watches Christians across this country, fall into churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And they notice that we Christians, that we huddle a lot. I mean, we hold hands and we fire each other up. We talk about highlight films from the good old days. We create intricate plays that we might actually get around the running someday. And they notice how we talk about the other team down the road that doesn't play the game the way that we play the game. And they hear, they hear us argue about what the pep band is playing and, and what clothes we should be wearing into the huddle. And they hear us complain that we don't have enough players. And they see how we spend most of our time worrying about the upkeep of the stadium we huddle into each weekend. And, and while this is going on, there's a hellbound, Christless world saying and wondering, yeah, I, I know you can huddle, but can you play the game? Maple Grove, the world is watching us. They're not watching this building, right? They're not watching this building. They're watching me. They're watching you, right? And they're wondering, do they make a difference? Do they hold out hope? Do they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do they feed the hungry? Do they clothe the poor? 
Do they take care of the less fortunate? Do they look after the orphan and the widow? Do they administer first aid to wounded souls? Do they do, do they do CPR on broken hearts? Do they walk with integrity? Do they leak at the seams with a contagious joy? Do they love the unlovely? Do they love their families? Do they love each other? Do they love their God? Do they love, they're wondering, if, do you love them? Do you care about them? Oh, they can huddle. Can they play the game? Are they for real? And guys, we come in here Sunday, every Sunday, and we have some pretty awesome huddles. Man, what, what a, that worship was like, seriously, like, like awesome sauce was like flowing everywhere. I was covered in it, man. I just couldn't see, right? It's crazy, right? And I think that's great, right? It, it should be that way. And you know what? It's needed. But brothers and sisters, the church is so much more than a Sunday morning huddle. It's a 24-7, 365 days way of life following Jesus living out loud. Uh, understand, when we're done huddling this Sunday and every Sunday, fairly speaking, you know, we need to put our hands in the middle and say, ready, break, and go out and run the place, live the life, proclaim the Christ, be his salt, be his light, be the church, share the gospel. And, and, and I got another cool football picture. You know, I, I mean, it, it, it's kind of safe in the huddle, right? It's not very risky in the huddle, right? You know, and, and if we decide to play the game, we're going to take some hits, guaranteed. You're going to take a hit. Maybe some cheap shots too, right? You're going to take some hits. But you're going to know what it's like to play the game, right? You know, would you rather do your life in the huddle? Oh, wow, that's awesome. Or would you rather do your life in the field, taking hits and playing the game? Maple Grove is the church. And when we begin to see the church for who she is, Christ, the bride of Christ, us, not the building, right? Begin to see the church as, as something so much more than a Sunday morning huddle. We begin to see the church for who she is. We could go all the way and become the church that God always had in mind. Maple Grove, welcome to church. Would you stand and pray with me? And at this time, you know, when I'm done praying, what we, what we do is, is, you know, is we uh, take communion every week if you're visiting. Uh, Jesus left the huddle, so to speak, right? And, and, and like he, he took a serious hit so that you and I could get in the game. We could be part of this team. And, and every week we remember that, right? Don't want to forget his broken body and shed blood, right? That makes it possible, right? Makes it possible for us to be saved. And we have stations off to the side. And when I'm done praying, you go over there, you, you grab the cup, you know, the cup and cracker together. You know, really take some time to think about where you are with God and where you are with church. Maybe pray with somebody if, if, if you feel like it, you feel moved and led. And we have our offering boxes over there as well. Um, if you feel you need prayer, come find me and I'll pray with you. 
Again, I'm going to pray, and as soon as we're done, just feel free to go to these stations. Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, you know, it's hard to believe that that picture of that guy just weeping just makes me weep. To think that you would look at me that way. To think that you would look at everybody in the room that way, that you see them and you're not disgusted. You're not turned off. You just weep and cry with joy because you love each and every one in this room so much. And, and Jesus, I, I pray for those who, whose heart is hard, Lord, and maybe they're bitter, Lord, or, or maybe they just are tired and just it's hard to believe anymore that your truth could ever penetrate. God, I, I pray that you would just soften their heart and they would realize the depth of your love. And God, I, I, I pray that for everyone, Lord, that, that we would just really get excited about what we're a part of. And Holy Spirit, just move as we remember the great sacrifice of Jesus as we give our offerings, proclaiming our love for you, and proclaiming that that's where our heart is. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.